Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code TREKGEEKS, all capital letters, for your exclusive 10% discount. Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kauprasamoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about q Who. This episode was written by Maurice Hurley and Melinda M. Snodgrass and directed by Rob Bowman. It first aired on May 6th, 1989. So for today's check-in, we've had a little bit of a break recording. Last episodes we recorded were months, months ago. Months ago, yeah. Sometimes life happens. Life happens. But yeah, let's actually check in. How how are you, Matthew? We finished that fundraiser for Esther. Yes. So thanks to all of you out there who had donated and checked in about it. We raised uh, more than our goal. It's probably got an, at least enough funding to keep the school open for another year. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome. And it's cool to see the fandom come together to, to make real world change happen. And I think that's great. And we need that kind of stuff to be going on in the world right now. Because the world sometimes is lately has not been that great. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it can be rough for sure. I uh, I don't have an update like that, but I, I did watch, since recording the last episode, I did watch all of Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Nice. I enjoyed it. I really liked it. The whole thing. The most recent season okay. was my favorite. With the, like, the light glowy aliens yeah. outside yeah, of the galaxy. Wild. They were fun. I will say one thing that is different about Discovery, different from many other Trek series... I'm not used to so many episodes in a row making me feel like I have to cry. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of feelings. So many, so many feelings. feelings. I mean, I'm not complaining. I think it's a really good show. I really like the characters. I like the stories. I have one cool piece of oh, news. Oh, yeah? As you might know, Ruthie, I left my job in student affairs at Simon Fraser University in 2018. I, yes, I did know that. To pursue a career in science communication, yeah. it's, it was kind of a cobbled together career because it was like kind of a bunch of part-time jobs all put together. So working at a planetarium, working at an observatory, writing in a space science magazine, and then working for a local honey producer. <laughs> so that, that was my that was my income. But as of December twenty third, I'm now a full time science communicator at the planetarium. That's amazing! Congratulations. Yes. Oh, that's so yes, exciting. Yes, I get promoted to full time. So that is exciting. I'm excited for you. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, you love science communicating, so I'm I'm glad you. I can do. do it it's fun. Yeah, and it all a lot of that desire to do that came from Star Trek. So thanks, Star, Thank Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. I love this episode. I've been so excited. I am so is, excited. We're here. I'm so excited. This is one of my favorites. I'm so glad that we get to do it. I know that we've often been joking about some of the earlier seasons and some of these episodes, and we just kind of have to wade through them. But it's episodes like this that I'm like, oh, but we get to do yeah. Q-Who. Also, such a big moment in all of TNG. We should probably let's, yeah, well, let's just get, get into, into it. it. We start off actually with what I consider to be a classic scene, which is in engineering between LaForge and Ensign Sonia Gomez. 
Ah, uh, Sonia Gomez. Sonia Gomez comes yeah, back in Lower Decks. Yeah, she's an amazing captain. Hey, I, I very much relate <laughs> to Sonia Gomez. If I were to be on the Enterprise, I would be Sonia Gomez. I'd be all, like, nervous and overeager, and, but end up just spilling hot chocolate all over it Captain It is so Kirk. funny. So first she's, like, saying please to the replicator, which I actually think is nice. I think that's good. He Like, before she teases her, but I think that's nice. And then she starts going on about how excited she is to be on the Enterprise for her first assignment, and she cannot stop talking. Like, she just she talks about how much she's talking, and she talks about that so much. <laughs> yeah, she reminds me of, like, when I get into conversations with people about things, and I'm just kind of random tangents, and then I'm always, like, over-eager to please, and then I think I've overstayed my welcome all in one emotion. Do you go through that process out loud, though? Or do you kind of keep oh, it in your oh, head? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I often do. Actually, I did today. I was in a I was in a live stream with a group of astronomy club students. I had realized that I had been answering one of their questions for like ten minutes, and then was like, "I'm sorry, I've got it like three different tangents." But I think they found it amusing, and uh, in the end, most of the time, I think we just like people for their passions and interests, and that's why we like Sonia Gomez so much. Another dimension to Sonia Gomez that I can now relate to that I couldn't before. We didn't have like voice activated anything back when this episode came out. But I certainly do sometimes thank Alexa when I ask her (laughs) to turn on lights and stuff. So I totally I I think it's nice. I also noticed in maybe it was the previous episode. Data actually says please when he's talking to the computer. He says like enhance please. I think this is one of those if the you know if Data himself is doing it then we should take our cues from him. For yeah. sure. So, uh, yeah, she she realizes she shouldn't be in engineering, turns around, and just spills Splash. all of her hot chocolate onto Picard. And then the best part to me is that not only does she do that, but she hands him the cup like, and uses her <laughs> own like hands to wipe his body. <laughs> it's so great. And he's like, and he's kind of not super uncomfortable with it. He's sort of like trying to comfort her at the same time. He's like, you know what? Maybe I should just go change. That will probably be Yeah, it's faster. fine. I'm just going to change it. And LaForge is, is like mortified. He's like, oh my God, I take full responsibility. And he's like, that's yeah, fine. It's fine. It's he's fine. like visibly cringing when... Gomez is like, oh, I promise to serve my ship. I mean your ship. I mean this ship. <laughs> I love Sonia Gomez. This whole interaction is one of the best things that happens in It Star really Trek. is. It's a perfect scene. Also, hot chocolate yeah, is great. Yeah, it's great. Who doesn't want to have a little hot chocolate when you're when you're doing some engineering? In yeah. space. In space. So Picard says he's like, okay, I'm going to go change. So he leaves Gomez to feel embarrassed. And she's like, oh, my God, first impressions are so important, right? What do they say about first impressions? And he's like, you've left an impression. And you have Sonia Gomez on all, on of, all us. of us. Yeah. That's right. So Picard takes a turbo lift. He's like, deck nine, crew quarters. But when the door is open, he just kind of walks automatically without really yeah. thinking through the doors. But all of a sudden... He's like in a shuttlecraft and he turns around for a second to be like, wait a second, what? what?" But the doors close behind him and he realizes he's in a shuttle with Q and no longer on the Enterprise. Yeah, that's like the worst situation to be in is alone with Q. I'd be into it. (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, let's let's have an adventure, Q. I'd be down with that. I guess you lose your freedom, though, in that sense, because he's basically a hot. Yeah, he is. Uh, Q very kindly cleans Picard's uniform and then points out that he technically is not breaking his promise not to bother the ship because they are in a shuttlecraft nowhere near the Enterprise. I'm sure Picard is so comforted by that. 
Yeah, he's like one of those crummy genies. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're like, I want to be, I want to live forever. And he's like, okay. And he turns you into like a piece of coral right. or whatever. Yeah, like, you know, it's, yeah. yeah. Technically following the rules. That's their introduction. First act. So the the, sh- the show reopens after and we're in a corridor and LaForge is telling Gomez that he, that she needs to like slow down. And he's like, you know, just, just chill out. Let's go to 10 forward. And she's like, I can't do that because... I've been under this pressure to be the best. And that's how I get to serve on the enterprise because that's what everyone wants to do. And, and he's like, okay, but now that you're here, like you're, you, his quote is you won't last long banging into walls. Like you need to, you know, like chill out and find a sustainable level of energy. It's true. And it also kind of, I feel lends, uh, I, what's the word credibility maybe. I don't know. It, it kind of supports my hypothesis from earlier when we were talking about how Riker really likes being on the flagship that like, Sometimes it doesn't pay to reach the top so early in your career because if Gomez, she seems to be talking like she wants to serve on the Enterprise. She wants to do important work on the Enterprise and like, you know, get promoted on the Enterprise. But if you start as an ensign on the Enterprise, like I doubt you'd get to stay on that ship for your entire career. So it kind of it feels like where do you go from there? I had thought of that. You're a lieutenant somewhere else. Like, then you're no longer on the Enterprise. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the reason why Riker didn't want to become promoted to captain. Because yeah, then he'd have to leave the Enterprise. Leave the Enterprise so, right? Anyway, right. I mean, Gomez yeah. does very well for herself, as we see in Lower Decks. So no no complaints. That's right. That's right. I'm so glad that they did that. So we go to Ted Ford and Guinan leaves the bar and kind of is looking thoughtfully out the window. And LaForge is speaking passionately <laughs> funny. with Gomez like in the background. He's like using his hands really, really effectively. Hands. Like, we can't hear you, yeah. LaForge, so you got to yeah. emphasize that you're yeah. talking. And then Guinan walks over and there's like this little control pad on the glass surface of the bar and she kind of pushes the button and she asks the bridge if anything's okay because uh, she has a sense that, that something unusual Riker is Riker at one point, like he says, oh, I don't remember you ever contacting the bridge. So this is this is weird. But she's like, ah, it's probably nothing. Although it's, it's never nothing. Guinan, we should always listen to Guinan. Back on the shuttle, Picard is trying to contact the ship and Q's like the locator beam won't work. They're, they're never going to think that you're like this far away. Picard's getting frustrated and Q says petulance does not become you, Picard. And It was really funny, line. but I disagree. I think I think petulance really does become him. <laughs> Especially dealing yeah. with Q. Oh he's my goodness. He's just sitting there like he's doing that like passive resistance thing where Q will say something and he just won't answer. Back on Ted Ford, Gomez says that she appreciates LaForge's advice and uh, you know, and 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 they're sort of chatting when LaForge notices that Guinan like seems preoccupied so she's like he's like are you okay and she says that she doesn't know if something's okay or not and LaForge I guess is like well if something's not okay I should be yes. in engineering so he just kind of gets up and he's like I'm going to engineering then and Sonia's like well I'm coming with you because I'm eager and want to help I, things I love the way it just follows she's like I don't know and he's like I better get back to my station <laughs> yeah I better get to my station then if something's yeah. wrong I'm gonna listen yeah. to Guinan if something's wrong then he I'm knows. gonna be an engineer I have to say just a little side note I Really like when Guinan and LaForge interact. I always felt like they had a good chemistry on screen, the two of them. I think so too, yeah. I that's one of the things I appreciate about Guinan is she has great chemistry with that's everybody. That's true. She does, yeah, yeah. She just like every conversation that she's in is I mean it's great. Whoopi Goldberg, so not ah, yeah. Absolutely. So then we go to the bridge and Troy tries to contact Picard, but he doesn't answer. So they try to figure out where he is. And the computer says he's not on board the ship. And then Worf says, hang on a second, a shuttle is missing. At this point in my watch, I wondered what Matthew was going to say about the security on the Enterprise. 
Yeah, because everyone's like, again, Worf? Are you serious? He's like, this time it's not my fault. The, the doors weren't even open. Nobody even stole anything this time. Yeah. I thought it was great, though, that Troy... Troy seems like as soon as she walks on the bridge, she can sense that something's up. And I, I, that seems to make sense because Picard is, is such a big personality on the ship and one that she's often in contact with. And it makes mm-hmm. sense that she notices that he's missing. Interesting, right? yes. Yeah, so Wesley gets, like, really upset. He's like, how could, a, how could Picard leave on a shuttle without anyone knowing? And Riker's like, it's okay. Yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna figure this out. And... He tells Data to start a methodical search to cover the most area in the least time. I'm not to be too much of a pedant, but a little pedantic. I think he means cover the most volume because area is for two dimensional. So like usually if you're doing a search, you do like an ever expanding, like a spiral kind of shape. But Data's got to do like a spherical spiral. So I don't know what that would look like, but... Six hours later, they still haven't found Picard. So, this, I, I appreciate the mathematician yes. view of this yeah. uh, that you've brought to it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, three dimensions. Back on the shuttle, Q is kind of bouncing this ball against the wall. This is also one of my other favorite scenes with Q. Yeah, where, like, he's basically passing time, and like you're like, where did the ball come from? Did he just make it? Like, is it like Probably. what's going on? But he has this like basically like a racquetball, yeah. and he's bouncing it against the wall, and and uh, while Picard is sitting there ignoring him, and Picard is saying that the Enterprise. At this point, he's being like, you know, reluctant or stubborn and yeah. saying that, you know what, even if I die or we die out here, the Enterprise will continue on with Riker as captain. And Q's like, okay, like, listen, I'll bring you back to the ship if you'll listen to my request. And so Picard agrees and they have this moment where he throws the ball and it bounces against the wall. But when he catches it again, he's sitting in 10 forward. It's a neat transition. Yeah, it's clever. He says, this is the proper yes. venue for our yes. discussion. And then Guinan pops her head up over the bar. 10 forward is now empty. I feel like Q probably had something to do with that. So it's just just Guinan, just Picard and Q and then Guinan pops her head up and she sees Q and you can tell that she is not happy to see Q. So this is another thing that that is introduced in TNG here is that Guinan and Q have a yes. history and that they know each yeah. other. And in fact, when they like when they go into this, they go into this defensive posture where they're both kind of even using like the same hand yeah. gestures. Q is basically saying that like Guinan is an imp and that trouble fall follows wherever she goes. And Picard's like, no, you're speaking, you're speaking of yourself, like yeah. not Guinan. And he's like, Guinan, that's what you call yourself. Now? I do have one fun fact about the posture that Guinan takes. So okay, Whoopi cool. Goldberg played Miss Seely in the movie The Color Purple, which came out in 1985. In that scene, Miss Seely has uh, an abusive husband. I believe his name is Albert. She makes a similar hand gesture when like warding off Albert as Miss Seely. In that oh, movie. interesting. So I feel like that was a, a fun little Easter egg that they put in for fans of Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. I love it. Wow. Can I can I share my headcanon about this? Yeah, please. So in my head canon that I, I was like, what would what would explain this kind of because they never unless I've missed this so far in Picard yeah. season two, because I don't know yeah. if they cover this yet. They never they don't really ever expand on this connection between Q and Guinan, but I always found it yeah. interesting. So my head canon was that the Elorians are actually expelled oh. Q and that the Q continuum had like a civil war at one point and Maybe some of the more like empathetic Q or whatever were like fighting against them and they got kicked out and they became these beings that are like 
mortal but still live like a super long time and still have some sense about time and space and uh, are still kind of connected to the universe in in like this larger scale way even though they are mortal beings and that's what the Elorians mm. are that they they used to be part of the Q continuum that's a, that's my that's head canon about this I okay that has made me think of potentially another I, I would like to offer an addition to this okay yeah, yeah. what if the Q are expelled Elorians. Ooh, so like okay. the Elorians were kind of maybe how they how we see them now, and then something about I don't know some sect decided they wanted to live as Qs and you know use their powers in these ways that can disrupt other other beings. And and that was the I mean yeah. effectively the same thing that you're saying, but just kind of flipping the dynamic a bit. I like yeah, it. That's an interesting idea. I yeah. like that headcanon. Yeah, so yeah, whatever it is, they don't really go into it much, but that's how it was one of the ways I thought that maybe that could that could yeah. be a thing. I have to say I do like that they don't go into it much because I I kind of feel like sometimes when they I mean, this is going to happen in any show, but I think it does sometimes happen in Star Trek when they try to explain too much about the origins of something, they end up kind of ruining it. Like it doesn't it doesn't have the same power as it has with the the mystique or the mystery. And that could be a yeah. fun thing. And, you know, and they and they play with it a little bit more, that dynamic between Q and Guinan, and they just let it yeah. sit in that mysterious place. And that's yeah, that's like OK. That. Uh, Q also gets reunited with some of the other cast that show up then on Ken Ford, especially Worf and Riker. And he does say to Worf, he's like, growl for me. Let me know that you still care. (laughs) (laughs) And Worf looks like he's ready to just clock him. But Picard's like, okay, calm down. Calm down. So why is Q here? Yeah, he says that he wants to join the Enterprise as a member of the crew. Riker kind of wonders if he's being kicked out of the continuum because he refers to himself as a homeless entity. And then Kynan's like, well, you know, not all Q are exactly the same. Like, some of them are almost respectable. Almost. (laughs) Almost respectable. He's saying this as, like, something he's offering. He's like, I'm offering my services to you. I want to join as a a member of your crew. And the way he says it, it doesn't seem like it even really occurs to him that they might say no. But they do. Okay, yeah, yeah, that that could be the case. Yeah, you know, and P- P- Picard is saying that, like, what, you know, he's kind of, like, he, you might be bored. Yeah. Like, why, what what could you do here on our quaint little vessel compared to an entity, especially, like, an yeah, omnipotent like, one that would be beneath you? But be too menial for you. Yeah. Yeah, but he says he would, he'd be willing to renounce his powers. And I guess to Q, he's kind of like, well, I'm looking for this new experience where I could explore the galaxy at your pace and with the the novelty that you see it in because I'm used to seeing everything all the time, but you're not. And so he kind of wants to maybe see it from their lens. It really isn't clear though what he actually, like I don't feel like he's being honest about why he wants it. Like there's a part of me that feels like he just, he's just asking them so that he can like, do, piss them off yeah he's like he's do. just <laughs> yeah. he, he's just this is another one of his games another way that he can bug them is being like i want to join you now and then either they'll say yes now. and he'll get to like wreak havoc from there as picard says he's next of kin to chaos 
That's such a great line. The yeah, alliteration is so good. amazing. Um, yeah, so either that or they'll say no and he gets to fight with them about that. Yeah, but Picard says openly, I think this is the point you're making, is that they, they don't yeah. trust him. Like, he almost looks hurt. He's like, oh, like he kind of pauses for a yeah. second. And, and he's like, but you, he's like, you need me because you're not prepared for what's out there. But he, he's almost saying that with, with what, like to Guinan, you know, because like, he says they're not prepared yes. for what's out there. And all of a sudden it becomes, this is a neat twist on the conversation because it becomes a chat between him and Guinan about them, like even though they're yeah. right there. And Guinan is responding to that. He's, you know, she says, well, they might not know what's out there, but they're willing to learn and, and adapt. And But he says, and I, I put this down, he said, they're moving further and faster than they should. Yes. I find this interesting because I've been thinking about that in terms of us right now. Yeah. In Like, especially in terms of space exploration, because, it, you know, and I've commented on this several times in some of the episodes we've done about about some of the private industry that's leading space exploration and some of the individuals that are leading space exploration mm-hmm. right now. And, and I'm like, should we be moving in that direction or should these be the people that are leading? Yeah. Picard doesn't actually question that in this particular scenario or in this conversation. Yeah. They never, they never, he never second guesses for a moment here. And that might be because he's being defensive against Q, but he doesn't at one point say, no, we, we take this into consideration and we think we are trying to be self-reflective about whether or not we should be taking that next step. They're more like, no, 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 we're going to get there. And we're, we're ready. I mean, one of the things Picard says is like, you can't be prepared for something that is going to be a surprise. Like that, that doesn't work. But we're ready to encounter it. Q disagrees. Yes. So he's like, okay. And he snaps his fingers and flings the ship. And you can see it like turning as it moves. Fly, yeah. yeah. Spitting out into space. This big snap, right? He does that yeah. snap. He's like, let's see if you're ready. And he walks out toward like the windows of Ted Ford and snaps his finger. And the ship like takes this big flash yeah. of energy and flies past And Guinan knows he's going to do it. Like she's, she shouts his name and she's like, Q. And he, he, she knows. She knows exactly. And I feel like, I feel like this is where I'm like, I, I don't, I don't trust him because I think Guinan could tell he's, aiming at something don't say no to me yeah so data says that in the blink of an eye they've traveled seven thousand light years which is far far. (laughs) their near system (laughs) j25 which i think i I really like that the way they they call that system j25 because then it comes back later and i i don't know when I hear J25, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a good episode of Star Trek. Oh, that's a bad one. That's it's a, a bad, bad system, system, but good we Star Trek with of that J25. Place. So if they travel at maximum warp, they will reach the nearest starbase, Starbase 185, in over two years. Q tells Picard that it's, he's like, the hall, the hall is rented, the orchestra yes. is engaged, now it's time to see if you yeah. can dance. And then leaves. And I'm like, whoa, that's, a, that's a, an intense challenge. Guinan does something that I actually find kind of annoying here. Because Picard's okay. like, what can you tell us about this part of the galaxy? And she doesn't give him, re- like she says, all I can tell you is that you, you should leave. She could give him way more information than that. And she just doesn't. And... Yeah, she's like, you should go back yeah, now. But like, <laughs> she's like, here. that's all I can say. Like, why can't you be a little bit more detailed in why we should leave? Like, if you're if you're telling someone to just follow your follow your advice without thinking, like, that's not right. That's the same thing as Q was saying, right? Like, 
Yeah, I think they're they're trying to hype up what's about <laughs> to happen. And what I will say though is that it does live up to the yeah. one time where like a, a new ominous ominous oh, enemy so does. Good. Yeah. So they go to the captain's log because they go to commercial yeah. break. And, you know, back, they come back and, of course, they're like, we yeah, want to explore instead of leaving because that's what they two, do, right? They're like, well, two years away here, from the explore. nearest star base. Let's just explore. Let's not, let's not get started on our way back. And Data says that in this system, there is an M class planet. It's a sixth planet in the J25 system. And they show, he, when he scans it, there's signs of industrialization that this was an industrialized planet. But, where the roads should be terminating into cities, there are no cities. There's just these big rips in the surface like they were scooped out and yeah. are gone. He says it's like the planets that were along the neutral zone in that episode, the, the neutral zone. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I think this is the last. I, I could be wrong because I didn't even remember this one, but I think this is the last reference to that episode. Like, And it, it also doesn't fully make sense because... There is a bit of an implication here that, like, this episode is the first time that the Borg encounter or hear of Starfleet or anything. And so that's kind of at odds with the idea that those planets along the neutral zone were also affected by the Borg. But yeah, they might have been trying to tie it together somehow. And they're they like, were. Ah. And it was, I think it was also supposed to tie together with the episode Conspiracy. And it was supposed to be like this insect race, but then they went in a different direction and in my opinion a better one yeah i i think so as well so you know we don't know if maybe they were being maybe there's some scout ship that's been floating Uh, around that's disconnected from the larger ships we're not really sure but they were trying to i think they were trying to show that there's this connection to the neutral zone when the romulans had shown up and um but what what it does appear though is this giant cube which i think is actually such a brilliant idea Actually, it goes back to what you just said, right? So you were just talking about, like, how do we explore space? It's not area. It's volume, mm. right? And if you're a, if you're a race of, of machine beings that are being as efficient as possible about their design, when you're in space, the way to take up the most volume in your ship that's as simple as possible is going to be a cube. And so it's kind of neat that the ship comes and it's, whoever thought of that design, that, I, that was, that's brilliant. That's such a neat yeah. idea. Also, just as you were saying that, I started to think, like, there isn't like an obvious front so we can just kind of travel in any direction mm-hmm. including like 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 in all three dimensions like it doesn't have to turn around it doesn't have to go up like it can, it can go up or down without like changing its orientation there there's no top or bottom or left or right front back it's just it's a cube it just moves around it must be now one of the most iconic scary ship designs in any science yeah. fiction that the Borg, this Borg cube. Data says the ship is, like you said, it's it's right. generalized. There's no specific sections. There's no bridge or engineering or living quarters. It's just like this cube of technology. Yeah. Worf says no shields or any recognizable weapons. And they also say there are no life signs, interestingly. And they hail and there's no response. But when you get to these like external shots of the cube, there's that sound, that <laughs> board cube sound. And oh, that as soon as I heard it, I'd like I'd like chills because it's just this such recognizable yeah. sound that gets etched into like Star Trek yeah. fandom. Now that I said that out loud, I remember this 
I remember either reading this or hearing about this. I'd have to look it up to see if the, I haven't made this up in my head. But I think the sound actually comes from one of the the VFX people's stomachs gurgling. <laughs> and and that's what it's actually based from. It's like the gurgling of someone's stomach and then they like ran it through machines or whatever and made that sound. I, or that's what it was inspired by. I have to double check if I've made this up I now or not. I can love this episode and I love what it sets up for like the rest of the not just the series, like the rest of the franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, they introduce, it's such a, an interesting enemy and, and we'll see more as they flesh it out why I feel like it's a, you know, or a, a, just like, it's there's such an interesting antithesis to what the characters are and, and the show is and the Federation and everything. But they, they, they want to know what it is. It's so mysterious. So they ask Guinan to go to her office and, or they ask Guinan, like, more information about this. So Guinan leaves and goes to an office. We don't yeah, know that she has, she has an office. office. Yeah. I think it's the only time we ever see it. Like, or her quarters or whatever. So she activates this view screen and she's like, well, these are the Borg. And we encountered them a century ago and that they scattered the Elorian people across the galaxy, destroyed their home world, and, and says that they are going to try to so destroy So then we it. go to engineering and a person, I guess. They kind of talk about how this isn't a person. I... We don't know this, obviously, if you're watching this for the first time, but the the term generally used is a Borg drone appears. So they kind of transport in and then we go, of course, to a dramatic commercial break. There's a, a point here, too, as well, where they just mentioned that they've raised the shields. Ah, yes. So this is like one of these first points where like their defenses and their weapons and technology like have no mm-hmm. effect because even with the shields up, this this drone has beamed right through the shields and straight into engineering the most vulnerable place so on the when ship. we're back from the commercial break we've got laforge picard wharf and then an unnamed security team kind of watching this person explore engineering and q appears and points out how interesting this person is because it's not a he or a she which is you know a little bit of 90s intrigue or 80s intrigue for you um but <laughs> yeah and and then also it's because later q definitely refers to him as him so <laughs> i thought i put that in my notes too i was like wait a second you like just said he's not a he or a she say them then q says this is an enhanced humanoid and he says that this borg is a scout and he's analyzing the technology but he doesn't care about the crew, or he, he doesn't care about anyone on the Enterprise as a life form. He's just exploring the technology. And then the Borg sends these electrical currents into the console. So a security guard goes to fight him and he like pushes him away and ends up pushing him like across engineering. Picard asks Worf to do something first, but then Worf <laughs> tells the security guard, he's like, oh, you, you go deal with that thing. I don't even know what it is. It's creepy. And then, which is probably a good choice because that guy looked like he got it. It is funny, hard. though, because it's kind of like Picard could have asked the other guy to do it. He specifically asked Worf and Worf is like, I got this, Picard. Don't worry. Don't I'm going to delegate. Yeah, this job rolls <laughs> yeah, downhill. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, exactly. delegating. I'm delegating this. Worf's yeah. phaser doesn't really work. And then the the lights kind of start going off and, and on. And I guess Worf turns his phaser to a higher setting, which does knock this Borg drone out. But then another one appears. And this one, where fires his phaser again, and this, like, shielding comes up. Like, it's not something that the Borg holds up. It's like this shield that appears around the Borg uh, when, the, when he fires the phaser, and it blocks the phaser. 
they pulls components off of the other Borg that's on yes. the ground, the one that was knocked down by Worf's phaser, and then this Borg transports away, and the other one appears to like self-destruct, yeah, like, like it vaporizes itself, yeah, and there's not... there's even like a burn pattern in the yeah, carpeting love, of where I love it was. What do we do? We have to figure things out, so we need to go back to the yeah, observation Yeah, that's always lab. where we figure things out. It's time to have talk. a talk. This time we have Guinan. <laughs> Picard's like, well, I've invited her here to, to share her knowledge about the Borg. She's our Borg yep. expert. and what she says is, she says, I wasn't there personally, but from what I'm told, they swarmed through our system, and when they left, there was little or nothing left of my people. I like that she used the word yeah. swarmed. She's using that, yeah, that's kind of insect. Because as we as we find out later, they're like a hive yeah. mind, right? So yeah, like it, it kind of harkens back to insect. Yeah. Like. And she says that when they attack, they don't attack individually and that when they decide to come, they will come in force. She says that there's no way to reason yeah. with them. And so one by one, what I appreciated about this, about how they set up the Borg is that all the tools that they normally use are completely ineffective. They can't use shields. Shields don't work. Their phasers don't work. Their diplomacy doesn't work. They they don't have any way to deal with this new threat. And this isn't even at full force. Yeah. No, this is no. just a couple of drones that they have not had any effect on or a little bit, but not not a, you know, but this is not like she says when they come they will come full force. The Borg hails them, and it's just like this very short conversation. It's like, we have analyzed the Enterprise capability, and you are unable to withstand the attack. We have analyzed your defensive capabilities as being unable to withstand us. If you defend yourselves, you will be punished. This is the not-yet-refined version of Resistance yeah. is Futile, which we hear from the Borg later. It's not actually in this episode, which I didn't yeah, recall. Yeah, they haven't, they haven't edited their... their elevator pitch down yet yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so troy kind of explains the collective nature of the borg that they don't have like individual minds that this you're you're talking to a collective um there's no leader and then q shows up again and he's he asks picard he's like are you sure you don't want me on your crew and picard's like yeah i definitely don't you just flung us into like this unsafe place. No, I don't want you on my crew. No, yeah, it's a bad take there, Q, and how yeah. this is going to work. And right then, a, the Borg lock a tractor beam yeah. onto the ship. So we call yeah. for a red alert. The ship can't go anywhere. They're stuck. The shields are down. The Borg use a laser beam to start cutting into the saucer section. And they like pull this like cylindrical section out of the saucer section. It's very striking as yes. a visual because up until this time, I don't think we've ever visually seen damage represented on oh the Enterprise God. before. We've, we've never seen like any scorching marks on the hull or like any of that kind of stuff. We've never seen any pieces come off of the ship in damage. So all of a sudden, like the Enterprise seems very vulnerable. Like when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's like, I remember even being younger and watching that and you're like, oh, that's scary. Yeah. Like. Like pieces of the Enterprise are now being taken away and like off yeah, of the ship. It is super scary. And And people. There's yeah, people there's in that Worf section. says that there were three sections on three decks that have been destroyed and eighteen people from those sections are missing. So like the ship it, the Enterprise is eventually able to fire enough on the cube for, that the tractor beam releases, but that's a fair bit of damage that has been done. 
when we go back to engineering at this point so that this like altercation has ended, Picard's like, any force necessary to destroy that beam. And so they fire and you can see these big, uh, the phasers hit the Borg cube and these big chunks of the cube are like vaporized and then it stops yeah. firing. And so they get this reprieve for a moment where they're trying to like, kind of lick their wounds and, and collect themselves. And we go back to engineering where Sonia Gomez is expressing trouble getting the shields online but also that she's distracted by thinking about these people who have died and that's where i realized having her character here was mm -hmm. so important because her character is kind of the embodiment kind of an overarching tone that we start seeing happen in the federation at this point i think when the borg arrive and we'll see more of this later but it's like it's almost like the Federation, in a sense, starts losing its innocence. Mm. Like, we're kind of like these, like, we're super, like, charged and enthusiastic and and nothing really bad has happened to us yet. And then all of a sudden, this, like, awful thing happens. And you see that reflected in Sonia Gomez. She's this ensign. She's on the best ship. And she wants to go exploring. And she has her hot chocolate. And she's, like, ready to go. And then all of a sudden, like... On one of her first missions, like 18 people are killed and they're flung through like the galaxy and she is in shock. Yeah. And I think that this feeling is very much what like the Federation is starting to feel once we've been introduced to the board. Yeah, that that is that's an interesting take on it. Yeah, the, the Federation. And I wonder if that also has to do with kind of behind the scenes, like the the writing staff, because I know that there were a lot of arguments between like Gene Roddenberry and other writers when writers wanted to introduce potential problems within the Federation. And Gene Roddenberry was like, no. Yeah, types like, of conflicts. Like the Federation and, is yeah. good. We don't have these kinds of conflicts yeah. because that has been taken care of. So I wonder if there's some of that going on. This That's like purely speculation. I don't have any any fun facts about that. But I also think it's important to have, or I don't know that it's important, but I think part of the reason she is the one saying it, is that the rest of the main cast, with the possible exception of Wesley, is established enough in their role that it might feel off to have one of them having this response. I, I right? Totally like if Jordy weren't you. able and, to do yeah. his engineering because... Yeah. yeah. I, that's, I think that's exactly why this character is in this yeah. episode. As they need, they need someone to have that kind of response, and for it to hit, it's sort of like this almost childlike place, wonder and curiosity, and and this kind of place of innocence. And all of a sudden, we have found an enemy that, like Hugh is saying, he says this earlier. He's like, all you've encountered what so far, the Romulans, the Klingons. He's like, this is nothing compared to what awaits you out there before he snaps his fingers and sends the ship here and now this is the the impact of that and it's being expressed yeah. through this character he's also he also says like you've met you've met these adversaries who are at your level but not everyone yeah. is at your level there are people who are far more advanced than you LaForge needs to get them all like he's he's worried about getting the shields back online that's their only form of defense so he tells her like listen we we have to we'll have to grieve yeah. later and tries to like sort of shut down that line of thinking. So Picard asks what else Guinan knows and she says that the Borg are made up of organic and artificial life and this artificial life has been developing for thousands of centuries. Then Q appears and he says that the Borg is the ultimate user and that they're not interested in Things like wealth or power that perhaps in other, I guess, adversaries Picard maybe could have appealed to. They don't they don't care about that. They just want to consume the technology of the ship, which is a little different from what we see 
the Borg kind of become once I think the writers kind of figured mm-hmm. that out. But but it's at, at its core, it's not that different. The idea is that the Borg, all you can offer the Borg is yourself and your stuff. They're not interested in negotiating yeah. because they can just take what they want. So what? Why? Yeah. Why would they negotiate? You have here that there's a nice moment where Picard calms Riker down by putting his hand on his arm, and I like that because Riker's so frustrated yeah. with Q, you know, because Q has appeared. He's 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 having this conversation while literally sitting at yeah. the table in a Starfleet them. uniform. I think we should maybe point out he's been wearing a, like a captain's uniform this entire time. Yeah, as he does. <laughs> yeah. What a jerk, and uh, and. Picard basically says, please, he's like, 18 people have yeah. died. We don't know if that's what's happened oh, to yeah. them. But he says, please tell us that this is one of your illusions. And that's I, that question makes sense because in the past when Q has shown up, we had people like Wesley get stabbed through the back and it ended up being like an right. illusion. Or, or he was really able real. to undo all of it. Undo it, yeah. And, and, and he says, no, this is as real as your so-called yes. life gets. Chilling. Such a chilling reply. Yeah. yeah. And then again, he disappears and Riker and Picard decide that they should send an away team to the cube. And Guinan is like, um, what? And Riker, yeah, she's she is shocked. so shocked. She's like, this is not a good idea. I have been telling you from the beginning that you need to get away from here. And Riker, I don't know, like, this is a weird line that Riker has. He says, I don't know, Guinan, they paid us a visit. It seems only fair that we return the courtesy. Like, what What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> it's not safe. Don't go. Maybe Riker's ego is a little bit hurt here by what's going on. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, let's take the fight yeah. to them. The warrior's coming out in him. So Riker, Data, and Worf are beaming over. And they think that there are no life signs. So at this point, they it seems like maybe the way that their sensors work, they can't make a distinguish between the individual Borgs and the rest of yeah. the technology because they're so integrated into each yeah. other. Yeah. But yeah, because when they get there, there are all of these Borg individuals standing in, my individuals maybe isn't the right word, but all of these Borg drones standing in their compartments. And yeah, Data kind of speculates that, that, you know, we were, we were looking for individual life signs, but these ones are acting as part of a whole and they kind of explore and look around and the Borg totally ignore them like even ones that are kind of walking around they don't they really like pay them no mind this might be the one time where working with the b-shop overlaps with star trek (laughs) but when when we were taking apart hives to check them for like to explore them so i got i got to work with the hives once while i was working uh, at the bee shop because normally i'm on the sales side with the honey and stuff but i i did really want to go to see how some of the hives are checked and inspected and and stuff so i went with um with the manager of the store the owner of the store and we went and we took the hives apart and i had like the headdress on and he had like all the the garb and stuff and basically like if we weren't threatening the bees, we could even be taking apart the racks of the hives to inspect the health of the hive and stuff. And they were fine. Like they didn't attack oh, at all. Oh, that's interesting. So as long as they have enough food, basically if the, the bees have enough food and they're not feeling threatened, they won't attack. They're, they're busy doing other stuff. They're like taking care of their hive and, and everything else. It wasn't until one of the hives was a little bit buzzy. I think it was actually because we had had a heat wave recently in Vancouver when this had happened and they were agitated because of the heat. So when we opened up one of the highs, I did get Uh stung. But until that point, they're focused on other stuff. And that's basically 
what data is saying. Data is saying that the cube is regenerating itself. And so basically they, they're busy yeah. doing that. They're not bothering with them because they're trying to yeah, fix and, their Yeah, and these three people don't pose a threat. So... Yeah, they have other things to do. They're based on efficiency. They're like a yeah. working machine. Then we get this really cool shot where, because we're we're pretty up close and personal with the away team and a few Borg drones, and then it just kind of pans out and it keeps panning out and keeps panning out and keeps panning out. And we just see how small this one part that we've been looking at is relative to the rest of the cube. Like basically that the cube is just massive. Yeah, I don't know what the what the dimensions on a board cube are. I think it's something like it's three kilometers in every dimension. So that's three times three times yeah. three. So that's it's three. What's yeah. twenty-seven cubic yeah. kilometers? Like that's that's it's enormous. Huge. How how yeah. is the Enterprise? Thanks for doing the, the math on that because I was struggling for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Enterprise is six hundred meters long, more okay, or less. Yeah, so way smaller. Yeah, and in some of the shots, you actually see the Enterprise just dwarfed yeah. in front of the board cube. So it's it is a neat it's a neat. I think it's like a matte painting they yeah. have in there, but it's it's a yeah. cool shot. Yeah. So then they find the Borg nursery, and I have to say, I feel this is a little intrusive on Riker's part that he's like opening these drawers <laughs> that have these baby Borg in them. They're very cute. Uh, they've got like tiny little like pieces of plastic just stuck to them while they're like giggling in their little drawers. Giggling, yeah. Yeah, so his uh, interpretation is that the Borg are born as a biological life form and then they they get artificial implants soon after birth. But they don't have a lot of time to explore that because Data realizes that the cube is regenerating and that all of the Borg are using their power to repair the ship and it could really get, it could be ready to go like any minute now. So that's when Picard realizes that they need to get out of there. He tells O'Brien to beam the away team back yeah. right away. Hit warp eight. Let's like, let's get out of here. And as soon as they start moving, there's this neat scene where you see the Enterprise like kind of make a hard right turn, like right yeah. in front of the cube and head up in a warp. And the, the Borg start pursuing immediately. And I love this scene because they really hit on the sense of like relentlessness yes. that the Borg yes. have. They're getting closer and closer. When they zoom in on the ship with the view screen, they can see the Borg ship's hull, like, just repair. It's, like, warping yeah, it's itself like back together. And, and like, like, yeah, it's so cool. At this point, they're very similar to what we saw with that Borg in engineering. The first shot can knock that Borg yeah. down. But when Worf fired at it again, it was all of a sudden invulnerable. And we see this now with the ship. So when they hit it the first time with their weapons, they could do damage to it. But now they're firing photon torpedoes. And the torpedoes are basically bouncing off. Like yeah, nothing's nothing happening. Nothing happens. They are traveling at warp 9.5. I think they even go up to 9.65, which I'm pretty sure is the fastest the Enterprise ever travels without like Q or the Traveler interfering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, I mean, they're <laughs> freaking fast and the Borg are still gaining on them. We know that even to get to any help, they'd have to sustain this speed for two yes. years to get to even and the closest starbase. And the Enterprise star cannot. This is actually something I've started to hear people say in the last couple of years, which I actually really like. We can't always operate at full power all the time. The Enterprise can travel at warp 9.65 or whatever. But if it were to do that all the time, it would break. And just like how we as people, you know, maybe we've got some really great capacity, but if we operate at that capacity all the time, we will burn out. 
So just like humans, the Enterprise needs rest. So it wouldn't be able to keep this 9.65 warp speed for two years to get to, to Starbase 185. Yeah. Yeah. The Borg are now firing on the Enterprise. There's the green glow of the bubble yeah. of the shields being hit by this energy weapon. But it doesn't damage the ship. It's it's designed to drain the shields, which I think is actually even oh more God, terrifying yeah. because, you know, they're not trying to kill you. They're trying to consume yes. you. Like, they they want you. They're not even trying to blow you up. There's something worse that's about to happen like to you. Like you said, who knows what happened to those 18 who, yeah. People, we, yeah. we don't know. And so Q has this great speech that he gives at this point. You can't outrun them. You can't destroy them. If you damage them, the essence of what they are remains. They regenerate and keep coming. Eventually, you will weaken. Your reserves will be gone. They are relentless. Woof. Chilling. It is chilling. So chilling. It's, it's weird how he's kind of lounging on the bridge. Like he's... I don't, Is that the thing that's on the bridge where Worf stands? The wooden part of the yeah, console in the like back. He's got a leg on it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point, when he gives that talk, he's like, he's sitting right beside... Picard and he's looking at him from the he actually I think he warps Riker out of his own seat or whatever and he's yeah he does right a couple him. like body swaps with Data and then Riker but yeah yeah he's, he says they are relentless you cannot do anything they are about relentless. this the Borg fire again and the ship loses its shield and then the last shot knocks out the warp drive and so they drop to impulse speed Picard says we'll fire more torpedoes at them and Data says that without shields at this range a photon torpedo detonation might destroy us. We might blow ourselves up with our own Riker's weapons. Riker's like, fire them anyway. Fire them anyway. We, this is it. Yeah. This is our last shot. This is it. At this point, Q swaps places with Data. So Picard is looking at Data, or, or yeah, Q, yeah. Q now, <laughs> from across the bridge. And he's like, okay, we're about to die. Please end this. He wanted to frighten us. Like, we're frightened. He's, you want us to show that we were inadequate? He's like, for the <laughs> moment. <laughs> he qualifies yeah. that. He's like, I grant that. He's like, you wanted me to say I need you? He's like, I need you. He gets his best, like, theater actor voice. (laughs) I need you. That as soon as he says that, as soon as he kind of, like, admits that, Q snaps his fingers from from Data's chair and flings them back to where they were. Yeah. He swaps places with Riker and he commends Picard. He says, you know, that was really big of you to admit that you needed help. Uh, Someone else might not have done that. Yeah, he says some men would rather die. And Picard is like, okay, that's great. But I think you could have communicated this without the loss of these 18 people. Hugh says that it's wondrous out there, but it's not for the timid. He has made his point. No, I think in most episodes, that would be the end yeah. of the episode. It's, it's had its like moment. Yeah. It's, it's like lesson. The ship's flying off and I was expecting the end credits to pop up. And then I was like, oh, I forgot. There's this debrief moment as well in 10-4. Most scenes between Picard and Guinan are amazing. I think these are two of the best actors on the show. And they are both real masters of subtlety, I think. They're playing this like 3D chess that you often see in Star Trek. And Guinan says that Q brought them in contact with the Borg much sooner than they than they should have come in contact. Q basically hit fast forward. She says maybe one day it might be possible to establish some kind of relationship with them, but right now they just see your ship as raw material. And then there's this great moment. She says, since they're aware of your existence, and then 
there's just a long pause where you see the realization on Picard's face. And then eventually he says, they will be coming. Now they know about us. Q got us out of that, but now they'll be coming for us. Knowing what happens in Star Trek, this has a lot more meaning than when they sent the signal, the alien uh, bug thing sent that signal into <laughs> at the end of like season one or whatever, because we know that there actually is going to yes. be a follow up on this. Yeah, one. no, that uh, that. Yeah, I think that was what this was supposed to that was supposed to lead into this. But then they took this in a, yeah. like I said, a better direction. Yeah, like we're going to make up for the bug one. This, these are the actual new bad guys. So you're like, oh, OK. Picard wonders if Starfleet maybe needed a, they said, a kick in our complacency to prepare us for what lies it's ahead. It's kind of like what you were saying, that, that the that Starfleet is sort of losing its innocence here. They're, they can't just be these sort of like idealistic, wide-eyed explorers that they have to be aware of the potential for danger. The writing in Star Trek seems to go back and forth between like sort of the like, even with the uniforms, you can see it. So, like, in Star Trek, the motion picture, when which is much more like a kind of exploring the mysterious science fiction adventure, the uniforms are even in that movie a lot more like these ones. are kind of like these one-piece, yeah. like, unitard, yeah. you know, where these explorers. But then when Star Trek II rolls around, we're dealing with, like, super weapons and con, and everyone's in these more naval uniforms. Like, Starfleet's a lot yes. more militarized in those movies. And we start to see that happen even mm-hmm. in Next Generation, like... You know, the uniforms will eventually start becoming more of these gray kind of fatigues and the technology they start saying is more inspired by we got to be ready for the Borg and we have to have Borg equipped weaponry and we have to have like, you know, and so this this might be where that starts. Yeah, maybe because even in TNG, they don't ever get the like gray uniforms, but they do get um, in the next season, their uniforms are going to have a collar and it's not necessarily one piece and it is a little bit more like boxy. Not like a, not like a onesie that that's basically just like the shape of your body. Whatever shape your body is, that's the shape yeah. of the uniform. With this one, it's a little, yeah, it becomes becomes more structured. It's more structured. And when those gray uniforms finally are introduced, they are introduced in a movie when the Borg return. Darker Federation, more tra- a traumatized it's Federation. It's a fighting. It's a fighting uniform because it's also like what they wear at the end of Deep Space Nine, where there's a lot of fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the episode. And then there's like a little moment where he he makes a move on the chessboard. And I guess it's like to show that he won because he kind of he and Guinan kind of share a little smile. But it's really unclear because I don't I don't play 3D chess. So apparently there are actual rules for it. I believe it. Yeah. You can buy 3D chess boards and apparently there are real rules. I don't know if they were made up at this point yet. but (laughs) <laughs> Maybe someone, if anyone knows whether or not that's an actual winning move on yeah, 3D chess, know. let us know. Final thoughts on this one, Matthew. Anything you haven't said that you want to say? I love this episode. This is, I think, TNG starting to grow up. It's grappling with these, like, with these difficult themes. I don't want to get into it too much about the Borg, because we're going to see that them also evolve yes. more as an enemy. I think they're really well designed in terms of an adversary, not only to the Federation and its values and what it stands for, but also directly to Picard and his values and what he stands it yeah. for, which is why the next season and what happens <laughs> in that season is even that much more Yeah, meaningful. absolutely. I, I sort of broke my rule after, so back when we were planning on recording this episode a few months ago, I, I broke my rule because I haven't been watching TNG except for like the episode that we're going to record. 
And then after watching mm-hmm. this episode, I was like, I can't. I have to watch the next episode where we see the Borg. And I did. Ooh. I, Ooh. I, and, then, and then I watched a total of three episodes because the one after that one is also very good. Yes. I just had to. Yeah. I had to see the next Borg episode because it's so good. Nice. They are good. I, I watch, I rewatch many TNG episodes over and over and over again. It is very much my comfort show. It feels safe. It, I love just getting home after a stressful day or whatever. I'll throw on some Picard and, and the crew and want to watch it. But I save, I save that two-parter in season three for very special uh. occasions because it, it's a very, very special two-part episode for me. So I'm like, I, yeah. I save it. It's also the only ones I own on oh, Blu-ray. Yeah. So I, I bought the Blu-ray special edition of, of the Best of Both Worlds. So I'm looking forward yes. to when we finally yes. get to that Yes, I have one. a story for that one about my experience with that. But yeah, all we'll right, wait. we'll wait for it. Cool. So. Me too. I'm sure we yeah. have all kinds yeah. of stories. <laughs> Thanks everyone for your patience with our yeah. break. We appreciate it. You'll have heard two episodes before this already because they're previously recorded. We've got two recorded. episodes before this one, but those were recorded many months ago. <laughs> many yeah. moons ago. We've heard messages from... Some of you during our downtime that uh, that you missed us, that you love our episodes. And we, we do appreciate, appreciate that, it. So and we, uh, we love making them. We do. And we love knowing that there's people out there listening to us and going on our adventures, listening and watching their adventures out there in the 24th century. And so thanks so much for listening to this particular episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at nathannunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at FirstLinkPod, or send us an email at firstlinkpod at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of this episode, what you think of this villain, which, which episodes and villains really speak to you. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew, and remember, if you need to make a first impression on a new supervisor, you can always do it with a hot drink. Maybe just don't make that impression literally on them. (laughs) 